Hebrews chapter 5 is where we're going to spend our time uh, this morning. We're going to pick things up in, in verse 11, and then we're going to read through verse 12 of chapter 6. So Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. As you're turning there, just to kind of remind you of the different kinds of fear that we experience, okay? First, there's what I call uh, a fun fear. Uh, this is the kind of situation we like to be afraid. We want to be afraid. It's why we go, maybe go to a haunted house. It's why we see uh, scary movies. It's why we skydive. It's why we bungee jump. Okay, it's a, it's a good fun fear, if you will. It's, it's why I hide behind the corner and I try and scare my kids. Or they try to hide behind the corner and, and scare me, okay? It's just fun. But then there's a, a bad fear, Okay. A bad fear is like it, a, a fear that paralyzes you. Uh, it, it isolates you. It keeps you from participating in life. It's, sometimes it takes the form of a phobia. You know, I've, I'm scared to be around people, and so you don't leave the house. Or I have a fear of driving or a fear of this or that. It's a, it's a bad fear in the sense that it's, it's paralyzing you. It, it keeps you isolated. It keeps you away from people. It keeps you from participating in the kind of normal rhythms of life, okay? Bad fear. But then there's what I'm calling the last one, a a good fear. And this is the fear that uh, a lot of parents are banking good money on, okay? It's the kind of fear that that says, this is dangerous, I don't want to be around it, and so I'm going to move away from it and keep safe, okay? It's, It's a good fear. It keeps you from getting into stuff you shouldn't be involved in. It keeps you safe. Many times it, it saves your life, sometimes quite literally. So it's a good fear. I bring that up this morning because of this passage we're going to look at. I'm going to give you a heads up. It's probably one of the most controversial passages in the Bible, uh, certainly in the New Testament. Um, there's been a lot of ink spilled upon it. Uh, it's very difficult uh, to understand, and people have various opinions on it, and so it's going to feel very heavy. Uh, this morning may feel a little bit more teachy, uh, so to speak, than, than other uh, mornings, uh, but what I'm hoping at the end of the day, when we're done looking at this, that um, there's a good kind of fear that we see in it, uh, a fear that keeps us from dangerous things, and it keeps us uh, towards life. It protects us and and watches over us, okay? A a good fear. So as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'll start in verse uh, 11 of chapter 5 and read through verse 12 of chapter 6. We hear God's Word to us this morning. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word, God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance which, from which from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once 
been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your, your work and your love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a heavy and weighty passage, and we pray for ears to hear. We pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us. We pray that you would sharpen us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please be seated? A little background, a little context uh, maybe uh, for this. Uh, As we've talked about the book of Hebrews uh, from the beginning, we've said it's not like uh, a normal epistle. It's not like a normal letter. You think of a book like Ephesians or Philippians. It's Paul writing to a church, and it's more in letter form. He introduces himself and talks to some of the people there. Uh, Hebrews is, is different. It has a different feel to it. Uh, and we've said it should be taken more as a sermon. To think of the book of Hebrews is not so much a book, but as a sermon. It's an exhortation, uh, if you will. And so we've already seen a number of exhortations in this book already. In, in chapter 2, uh, the exhortation was, don't drift away. Um, don't slide away. Be careful where you're going. Uh, in chapter 3, he was quoting from Psalm 95, and he said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Uh, warning them to take care of their hearts, to, to watch over it. Don't let it be hardened. And then we get this last exhortation here, this third one here in this passage, and it has to do with how they're hearing, with how they're, uh, there's, there's a dullness that's taken effect there. There's an an immaturity when there should be a a deeper maturity for spiritual things and for spiritual life. And so here's what I want to do with the passage. Here's how I want to break it down, okay? First, I want to talk about um, the need for maturity. I want to talk about uh, the danger of apostasy. We'll talk about that a little bit. That'll be the meat of the message, the danger of apostasy, and then a word of encouragement, okay? Need for maturity, danger of apostasy, and a need for uh, a word of encouragement. First, the need for maturity. Uh, The author pushes this need for maturity by using this metaphor of of milk in solid food. He started out in verse 11, he's basically saying, there's much I want to share with you, there's much I want to talk to you about, particularly I've spent some time talking about the high priesthood of Christ and 
how we learn more about him from what's, what we learn about the high priest from the Old Testament. He says, I would love to share that more with you, but you're just not in a place to hear it. Uh, you're not there to, to get it and to understand it because you're still drinking milk when you should be moving on to uh, spiritual, uh, to, more to solid food. And so I can't give that to you right now. And what he's getting at is a basic principle of life. If something is not moving, if something is not growing, if something's not advancing, what's it doing? It's dying, it's decaying, it's, or it's, it's rusting. And it's the same, a similar principle in, in the Christian life. There's a progression to the Christian life. There's growth there. You, you become a new leader, new believer. Uh, you begin to understand that the basic doctrines of the Bible, the, the cross of Christ, his substitutionary death for us, uh, prayer and God's word, all these kinds of things. You begin to learn these things, and then you move on to being a teacher. Now, when I say be a teacher, I'm not saying where, you, know, you get to the point where you can hold court in front of people behind a podium for hours on end about you know, Revelation chapter 20 or the, the Sermon on the Mount, but you're able to engage people with the Bible. You're able to talk about the Bible with other people. You're able to have a conversation, whether it's over a, a, a meal or in the parking lot or somewhere, you're able to talk about the truths of the Scriptures. And what the author of Hebrews is, is doing is saying, in effect, you stop growing. That you're, you're not there yet. I mean, imagine you were uh, at Walmart one day, and you wander around the aisles, and you see, you go down the cereal aisle, and you see a, a little baby, two-year-old, and she's lunchtime, and she's got her bottle of milk there. And you would think, that's great, that's cute, um, that's really neat. And then you wander around a little bit further, and you get to the coffee aisle, and you see a middle-aged man, and he's got a bottle in his mouth. That would totally freak you out. It'd be those, like, this is why I hate going to Walmart, you'd be thinking. It's just, you see all this creepy stuff here. Uh, you would run away. It's not natural. You, you can't grow on a bottle of milk. You should be eating hamburgers, okay? You should be wolfing down some tacos or something. Uh, you, it's just not natural. There's, there's a move towards maturity. So when he says in verse 12, by this time you ought to be teachers, and in verse 14, solid food is for the mature but by constant use, you have trained, you train themselves to distinguish between good and evil. He's saying, on the one hand, a Christian is a student. He digs into the scripture. He learns the Bible. He understands the stories and the patterns and the promises and, and what's being communicated there. And at the same time, he's a teacher. A teacher in the sense that he's able to, to share that stuff with other people. He's able to communicate and talk about the faith. He's able to describe it to his kids. He's able to talk about it with his, his spouse. He's able to, to pray it, to, to be mature by it. It's, it's taking root in our lives. We move from being students to teachers, but we're both at the same time. And this passage also helps us to see, too, that there's progression. You know, you enter into Christianity, and there's basic things you've got to learn. You've got to learn about how Christ is, has dealt with your sins so you can deal with your own guilt. You've got to understand about the, some principles about prayer and about the scriptures and the life and, and death of Christ. There's basic principles, but there's a progression to it that we move from the, the foundational things to more mature things. It's like we're, we're climbing a ladder, so to speak. We're, we're moving forward. We're, we're trying to dig deeper in it. Now, some of you hear this and you think, all right, fine okay, I'll do some more Bible study, okay? I'll try and dig in a little bit more and spend some more time in the Word and things like that. 
Okay, that's great, but don't say that flippantly because of what else is in this text. Because what else does does the the author of Hebrews uh, suggest to us? He's talking about the issue of apostasy further down in this passage as we find our way into chapter uh, 6. And some of you think, okay, what is apostasy? Basically, think about it in the simplest form. It's somebody that has, uh, has a certain position. They've confessed this position. They believe this position. They stand on this team, so to speak. And at some point in their lives, they say, I don't believe that anymore. I'm not on that team anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. And they, go, and they move away from it. Uh, they're, doing some, they're moving on to a different position. And this is maybe how we see it uh, in the Christian life. It has a lot of shapes and forms uh, to it, okay? Imagine the 18-year-old raised in a Christian home. Great parents, they come to church, uh, they go to Sunday school, uh, raised in this great Christian family. They go off to college. Two or three years later, they come back and they say, you know what, I don't believe in Christianity anymore. I'm agnostic. You know, I just think we don't know, and I think there's all kinds of different ways to God and so on and so forth. Or imagine it uh, maybe happening like this. You have an, a nominal Christian, been a part of, are a part of a church, maybe even teach Sunday school, and then just life gets the better of them, so to speak. Uh, pressures at work, um, you know, desire for, for different things, and they just move away from the faith. It's not who they are anymore. They've found something different, so to speak. Or maybe tragically, uh, you find somebody who's had something horrible happen to them. You know, they've lost somebody they, they love dearly, and they blame God. God, this is your fault, and they're consumed with an, an anger and a bitterness and, and a deep depression of these things, and they just turn away. They, they move away from God. Now, certainly, can they come back? Yes. I mean, it's easy to imagine the 18-year-old who gets married and begins to have kids, and he begins to scratch his head, and he says, okay, I've got to raise this child, and what do I teach them? What do, what do they need to know? How do I do that? And they get to age 28, and they have a genuine conversion. They understand that the gospel and its truths, and, and they want to, to pass it along to their children. I mean, it, it, many of you know, you, we, we parent our kids, we raise them, but we really don't know what they believe until they're gone until we, they hit that point in their lives where we can't tell them what to do anymore, and they have to put legs to their own faith by themselves. So where do we see apostasy uh, in this passage? Look at verse 4 again. He writes, It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Very strong words, very strong language. I don't think he's talking necessarily about a particular person, you know, in the original audience of this, the original Hebrews that were reading this themselves. And, but I don't think he's talking about a hypothetical, uh, theoretical situation either. As I said a moment ago, this is a hard passage. This is hard language. Uh, and there's been Tons of ink spilled upon this, okay? I can give you all kinds of information if you want to dig deeper and know all the other views on this. I'm going to show you four views very briefly, and then I'm going to tell you what I think uh, the passage uh, is, is talking about. Uh, some people argue that this is simply the loss of one's salvation, okay? That this is somebody who has professed faith in Christ, they're genuine believers, and then 
for whatever reason, they've lost their salvation. They've, they've walked away from the faith. I don't think it's saying that because I think there's other places in the Scripture where Scripture is very clear that you cannot lose your salvation. And so I, I don't think it's necessarily talking about that. Some people think what's going on here is backsliding. Backsliding in the sense of, you know, they haven't lost their salvation, but they're, 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 it's just simple backsliding. They're just moving away from the Lord. Uh, you know, they're just, you know, maybe some people say they're taking a time out and they're, they're moving away. I don't think that's what it's talking about because of the severity of the judgment, the severity of the language uh, that's here. Some people think what's going on here is a, uh, a falling from usefulness, uh, that they have, uh, there's no longer going to be any fruitfulness in their lives. They've lost credibility. It, it's, it's kind of backsliding in the sense it's a, it's a public figure um, who's done something in their personal lives that's, that's very public now, and because of that, they've lost credibility and so there's, there's no way that they can be returned. I don't think it's talking about that because of it, it's strong language, and it doesn't use the language of, you know, if you've um, lost credibility with other people, you can be brought back into to public uh, ministry. Others argue that this is a theoretical or hypothetical situation, that the author is just putting this warning on the table, so to speak, and he doesn't really mean it. Uh, it's not really going to happen. It's just a hypothetical situation. If somebody keeps behaving in a certain way or keeps moving in a certain direction, he's saying, you can keep going that way, but bad things are going to happen. You may not be able to come back. I don't think he's talking about that because if people knew that they were eternally secure, that you can't lose your salvation, then this threat would lose its weight. I mean, it's like the parent that says, if you keep coming home past curfew, I'm going to take your car keys. I mean, after five, four or five times of saying that, the child is like, he's not going to take my car keys. I mean, it's just an empty threat. And so I don't think it's a hypothetical thing. And so what does the passage mean? What is it saying? What's it communicating? Before I give you my answer, and again, you, this is my, what I believe it's saying, and you can do the, do the math yourself. I want to, before I give you the who, the type of category he's talking about, I want to lay down a general principle I think we see in Scripture, and then that'll help us understand uh, what I think the passage is saying. The principle, the simple principle is this, that genuine faith perseveres. Genuine faith always perseveres. Let me throw Bible passages at you, okay? Uh, Hebrews 3. We have, come to share, it, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. John chapter 8. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Matthew 24. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. 1 John chapter 2. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And what I think that these passages are teaching, and what I think the Bible teaches, is that genuine faith is characterized by perseverance or endurance. It has a, a long lasting impact on somebody's life. Genuine faith perseveres. Now, now go back to this passage, okay? These people were enlightened, okay? They tasted the heavenly gifts, they were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. They tasted the good word of God. They tasted the powers of, of the coming age. And on face value, it looks like, hey, these people are 
Christians. It looks like they're genuine Christians. Okay. Maybe, but let me give you a different uh, category or a different way uh, to think about it. Let me give you some other biblical examples that maybe fill the, that, that give us a good category. If you've been tracking with us through the sermon, through these weeks looking at Hebrews, you've noticed in, in the background, particularly of chapter 3 and chapter 4, the authors talked about the Exodus. Uh, God's people being delivered from uh, Egypt, from slavery, and then the next generation that moved into the promised land. And when he's brought that story up, that period up, he's made a distinction. He's made a distinction between uh, the, the Israelites that were brought out of slavery and experienced some of the blessings of that salvation, but did not make it to the promised land, okay? They participated in the benefits of salvation, but they did not get to enter into the promised land. Another example, I mean, this one's a little bit easier. Think about Judas, okay? He's one of the twelve. Uh, he's seeing the same things, experiencing the same things, having the same conversations with the disciples that they're having with one another. Uh, Jesus even sends him and the other disciples out to do ministry. Go and do ministry. Go and do good things. Preach about me, talk about me, do all kinds of miracles. They do, and they come back. And what does Jesus say to them? We don't read him saying, you know, y'all did a great job, except for you, Judas. What you did does not count at all. We don't read that about him at all. Then think about uh, the parable of the sower. Think about the parable of the sower. Uh, the soils represent different uh, lives, different responses to the gospel, and the seed is simply the word of God or the gospel of God. And it's sown on these various soils, and it produces different uh, responses. And think about this, the, the seed that fell on the rocky soil. Jesus talks about it like this. Like the seed sown on rocky places, uh, they hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no, no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. That, that seed seems converted. It seems to be producing something, but it doesn't endure. It doesn't make it. Persecution comes. Things come, and they say, this is not what I want to do. I do not want to have a hard time for my faith by my uh, friends. I do not want my independence infringed upon. I want to be able to make my decisions, so I am not going to believe this anymore. I'm not going forth. This is not who I am. I don't want to do this. You see the different category that I'm bringing before you? Think about what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, the end there. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And what I'm hopefully painting before you is to give you a whole category of, of a type of person that they seemingly, they participate in Christianity. They participate in the gospel. They, they get some benefit from it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mark who they are. There's no genuine grace. There's no genuine faith. There's no genuine perseverance. That is who I think the author of Hebrews is talking about, that type of person. They seem to have some feel for Christianity, experience some good things. They've, they've felt a conviction. They're saying, I need to stop cussing. I need to start doing this or that. And they seem to be getting some traction, but it doesn't lead them anywhere. 
and they turn away. And it says there's no room for repentance, but probably because they don't want to repent. They don't want to believe this anymore, so why would they repent of it? And so that's what I think he's talking about. That's who I think he's talking about. Some of you are thinking, why did I come to church today? Okay, uh, this is heavy, heavy stuff. It's uncomfortable stuff. It's, it's scary stuff. How do I know? How do I prevent this? What do I do with this, with a passage like this? Let me give you just a, a word of encouragement. I hope you'll take it as encouragement. Because the last thing I want is you to go home and, and lay your head down at night and say, I, I think I'm in. Maybe I'm not in. I think I am. I, I did this. I did that. I hope I'm in. I hope I'm saved. I, I hope this doesn't happen to me. How do you know? How do we have an assurance of salvation? Uh, Look again at verse 11 of chapter 6. He says, We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. He's engaging them, encouraging them, exhorting them to to have some diligence, uh, to, to be walking with God over a period of a lifetime, day in and day out, pursuing Him, believing Him, walking by faith, uh, encouraging them, we talked about a moment ago, towards maturity, towards applying the Scriptures to their lives. And as that happens, it produces assurance. It produces a, a certainty, this is who I belong to, this is real for me, and I know I am His. I can sleep easy at night. I, I know that He's going to be that shepherd in my life, so to speak, to guide me and to lead me. Think about it maybe like this. Don't think, of assurance as a, don't think of assurance of salvation as something like an airplane ticket where you pull it out and you, whenever you need it and say, okay, I'm saved, and, I, and you put it back in your pocket. It, it's not like that. Assurance of salvation comes as you're walking with the Lord, as you're knowing him, as you're experiencing him, as you're trusting him, as you're looking towards him. There's assurance that comes with that. Because if you think of it as just a ticket that you pull out of your pocket, just to, you know, like a, like a golden pass that says, I'm in, you've got to take me, uh, what you're doing is you're, you're just making yourself look at yourself, look at your own works. Have I prayed enough? Have I gone to church enough? Have I given enough? Have I been nice enough? Uh, was I a good enough parent? Did I do all of these things? You do need to do all those things. They're very important. But we don't look to those things to let us know if we're sure that we're believers or not. What we look to is what? We look to the unchanging character of Christ. We look to his once and forever death and resurrection for us. You know you're saved. You know you belong to him because what are your eyes looking at? You're looking at him. He died in my place. By him I have forgiveness of sins. He is my assurance. He is my only hope in life and death, what he has done for me. What's the feel of Hebrews? As we've been moving through this, you can read it on your own. The the push of Hebrews, the author is saying, move, do something, be active. Don't be dull, don't be hard-hearted, but be engaged. Uh, Move forward. There has to be a sense of progression in your Christian life. You will stumble. I stumble. You're going to sin. You're going to mess up. But when we do so, we get up, we ask for forgiveness, and we move on. Uh, Paul in the book of Philippians expresses it like this. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Christ took hold of me, and so I'm moving to take hold of him. And when you take hold of him, 
That's our assurance of salvation. That's our assurance that we belong to him because of what he has done for me. Because he is holding me. It's not me holding him, but it's what he has done for me. Will you pray with me and hopefully this will stick into our hearts. Father, again, this is, this is heavy words, heavy thoughts. And we pray that you would help us uh, to walk with a, a sense of uh, assurance that we belong to you. Not because we're such good people, not because we're, we're the best parents ever and we've you know, never done anything really bad, but because you've never done anything bad, because you've given your life for us, because you loved the Father perfectly and you've loved us. And it's to you we cling, you we rest upon, you we look to with our eyes of faith, knowing that you have done this for us. Give us the grace to receive. Give us the grace to, to take the forgiveness, to take the salvation, because you give it to us, and it's ours as we belong to you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.